Hello and welcome back, fight fans, to episode 209 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. Today we're going to talk about big wins by Ryan Garcia, Jorge Linares, and Caleb Plant last weekend, and a big preview of the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury in Las Vegas. We have a special guest at the top of the show, Mr. Jim Boone of KO Tickets, one of the best, if not the best, ticket broker in the entire boxing business. So guys, uh, for as far as the phone lines go, give it about 20, 30 minutes. We're going to open the phone lines to all you guys about uh, 2.30 Eastern time here in the U.S. of A. Of course, uh, we got those of you uh, watching live over in the U.K. I think it's about 7-ish right now. So about 7.30 your time, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines. But for now, we're going to get into uh, just some quick news and notes. And then we will talk to Mr. Jim Boone of KO Tickets, who should be calling in any minute now. Uh, so, big, big news this week, guys. Of course, the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. We're going to talk to my buddy Jim Boone in a couple minutes here about the ticket sales, how they're going, uh, how they were priced and everything in comparison to the first fight to uh, Deontay Wilder's last fight, which just so happened to also be in Las Vegas against Luis Ortiz, which really was overpriced. I think they got it right with this one. I think that it, heck, it has that big fight atmosphere, right? It kind of feels like a big fight. They've been doing a ton of promotion. It's ESPN and Fox working together on this thing, the same parent company. There's a lot riding on the success of this promotion. They put some big-time money and some big-time ads into this thing on the Super Bowl. They've had all sorts of preview shows. I got to give it to both Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. They've been promoting the hell out of this rematch. From Tyson Fury doing the stuff with WWE last year, I saw he was at, I think it's the Las Vegas Knights. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. The Golden Knights, that's the professional hockey team there. He was at a game there. Deontay Wilder's been doing all sorts of stuff. He met the Pope a week or two ago. So, I mean, these guys have been really getting out there all over the place promoting this thing. There's a lot riding on it. Of course, this is a co-promotion between top rank and premier boxing champions. This thing has to do good numbers. It has to do well. If you want to see other collaborations like this in the future between these two entities, if you look at it, the last 10 plus years, it's actually more like 20 years now, uh, after the Don King era, you know, Al Heyman kind of took over as the, I don't want to say the new Don King because that wouldn't be fair to Al Heyman. Um, he's kind of taken that role and represented the same sort of boxers for the most part that Don King did, mostly American fighters and uh, marketing to the, a lot of the same fan base. And, you know, top rank Bob Arum still doing their thing. And the rivalry that Grandpa Bob and Don King had is kind of become a new rivalry between Uncle Al and Grandpa Bob. And they don't work together a whole lot. They're kind of really polar opposites, the way they do business, uh, the way they build up their fighters and market everything. And every now and then, those universes come together. We saw it with Mayweather Pacquiao, of course. That was the dud of the century. That was just a complete fiasco, the way that all worked out, because we had such high hopes for what it could be, and it just didn't work out. I mean, if you think about it, man, any other era, Mayweather and Pacquiao would have fought at least three times in any other era. I'm talking 80s, 90s. You go back, of course, like to the 50s, they probably would have fought five or six times, right? They fought once. It was years after its expiration date. It was way overpriced. 
a terrible undercard. The whole thing was just a complete shit show. It made a ton of money, but it was a complete shit show. Nobody talks about that fight in a great way. Nobody thinks back, man, what a great fight for the ages that was. That built so many fans for the sport. But here it is. Both of these parties are working together. It just so happens now, this isn't HBO and Showtime. Now this is ESPN and Fox. And because of the way things are lined up with these two companies and their parent company and the mergers that have taken place and everything else, we're in this strange situation where you have top rank in ESPN, you have PBC and Fox, and they are still opposite sides of the street. They still do their thing. They kind of market to their own fan bases in a way. But they're kind of in the same universe now. Different networks. Of course, Fox is one of the the regular network TV platforms. And ESPN is a sports network on basic cable, but they have the same parent company. So at the very, very top, the same executives that are all in this for the money. That's what it's all about. And here you have a rematch. Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. So they've already fought once. This is the second one. The first fight, I still think, was a little overrated by some people, but there were great tense moments. And that 12th round was very memorable. The most memorable part of that fight was the very end. And that's kind of the way you want things to be if you're going to build into a rematch, right? So you had this perfect crescendo at the very, very end, and that built us into this rematch, perfectly built us into this rematch. So this is the second time now, within about a year and a half, that Uncle Al and Grandpa Bob are doing business together with this this promotion. If it goes well, I'm talking a million-plus buys. I think for it to really, really turn heads in the boxing industry and get people thinking, man, we need more of this, it's got to do a million buys. If it does, and it's a good fight with maybe a questionable outcome or it's uh, close in either way, close, controversial, who knows, We end up getting a third fight, and you get that rivalry. When is the last time we had a top-ranked fighter and a premier boxing champions fighter in their physical primes at the peak of their careers having a rivalry together? Has it ever happened? I can't think of it ever happening. But it very well could happen here, and it could happen between two heavyweights. That's a big deal. Two heavyweights on network TV. Now, I get it. This is pay-per-view. Pay-per-view isn't exactly network TV. You're doling out $85 or whatever the hell it is here in the States for that. But the promotion and all of that has been on network TV. So that is a big deal. That's a very, very big deal. And if this thing works out, it does a million buys or even gets close, even if we're talking 750 something like that, I think that it could really, really give other promoters incentive to work together. I think you're seeing a lot of uh, promoters working together on the ESPN side and the DAZN side. But if we see this thing really, really work out, I think you're going to see more PBC fighters looking at them dollars and thinking, man, let's do that unification fight. Let's work across the aisle. All right, guys. So uh, let's see. I think Mr. Jim Boone is on the line. Let me see if he's here. Hang on one second. Let me open up the phone line. Mr. Jim Boone of KO Tickets, are you there, my friend? Hey, Mike. What's going on, brother? Mike, the Marine Montero, Triple <laughs> M, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. 
Are you in Vegas yet? You got to be there, right? You... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm in Vegas. My office is about uh, five minutes from uh, MGM, right behind Mandalay Bay. So uh, we're, we're up and ready and rock and rolling for this week. It's uh, definitely exciting. What's the atmosphere like, man? Is, does it have that big fight atmosphere yet? Not, not yet, not yet. Okay. It will start. Typically, you get, you know, most of the fans start coming in, especially when you get to Brits coming in from overseas. They want to make it a trip out of it. So Wednesday, Thursday, they start piling in. Friday will be off the chart, and Saturday will be uh, will be insanity, just like we like it. Awesome, man. Uh, how are these sales going in comparison? So, I mean, you worked at Wilder Ortiz rematch. I remember we talked about that, about the fact that the yep. tickets were so overpriced. There was a good walk-up the week of the fight. But in comparison, how are these tickets priced for this rematch? Were they priced right? Are the packages priced well with the hotel and everything else? How is it going so far? I mean, listen, they priced the fight expensive for good reason. It's a very, very big fight. But right. they've done a really good job as far as the promotion and tickets are selling. Contrary to popular belief, and in, I know people have called me and they're confused about it, the fight is not sold out. And yeah. there is definitely good seats available direct at AXS.com, which is AppleXRayShit.com. But the problem is, or not the problem, the reality is, is 90% of the tickets are priced at $1,000 or more. And 90% of the fans seem to want that $500 ticket. Right. So if you're a fan that just wants to go to the show, sit upstairs, have a great time, listen to the singing, listen, watch the fight, it's getting real, real tight as far as the lower-end seats. The high-end, the high-dollar seats, there's plenty available. But overall, I mean, amazingly enough, compared to the last fight, uh, the Ortiz fight, there's actually seats for this fight that are priced cheaper, if that gives you any perspective. Wow. So they actually learned <laughs> a little something from that fight with Ortiz. No, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. That one just didn't make any sense. I'm not sure what, what the thought process was. But, no, they've done a good deal with this. They put a good number of seats available to the public at under $500, kind of like that 350 to $500 threshold. And basically those have all gotten gobbled up, all the 350s okay. have. There is a limited number of the $500 left. Then there's a couple of the 750s, and then you're jumping up to $1,000. So, like I mentioned before, if you're a fan that just wants to go there, normally in Vegas, I say, go ahead and wait this one. It might get a little bit dicey come Saturday, especially with the number of Brits coming to town that have not bought tickets yet. Cause yeah, once they get to town, that walk up right there with the British fans is going to be crazy. So if, if there are fans right now watching this and listening that want to get that $500 ticket, the last few left, they need to jump on that right now is what you're saying. I would recommend it. I mean, it's a risk reward, Mike, the, the chance you're going to pay $400 is probably as likely as a chance you have to pay $800. Gotcha. So maybe you save 50, maybe you save a hundred. You might spend two, 300 more. You know, I, I work obviously the first fight in Los Angeles and um, it was pretty calm. It was like one of those calm before the storm, uh, the storm say Thursday, we got to Los Angeles. We set up Friday. It, it started getting crazy. And Saturday, I mean, the bridge came out of the woodwork and that, that scene down by Staples center was absolutely phenomenal. It was a lot of fun. So the idea that they're not going to be back for this fight, especially considering the fact that MGM Grand is considerably smaller than Staples Center, it's for the the buyer that wants to spend five hundred bucks. I think today's the day to do it. Right, because MGM is what fifteen thousand something like that. It's actually it's actually less now. They um they pulled out some of the mid level seats in order to put uh they put like a sky lounge or that's like right a bar yeah back there, yeah and they knocked out some seats. So it's I mean the great thing about MGM, which a lot of people don't know. It was specifically built for boxing. I got a buddy of mine that worked on that team. 
And their, their motto, their philosophy was when people think of Las Vegas, we want them to forget that it was ever a fight at Caesar's Palace. Mm-hmm. And that was why the arena is built like it is. It's perfect for boxing. And the simple fact that there's less seats now means it's going to be, uh, it's going to be packed quarters come this Saturday. Yeah, I mean, as a guy who's covered a lot of events at T-Mobile and MGM, I could tell you right now, MGM, not a bad seat in the house. Um, I, lo- I'm, I would so much rather cover a fight at MGM. T-Mobile, to me, is a, it's just no. a catastrophe. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dump. It's a hockey arena. I've named it T-Chernobyl. Everything <laughs> yep. that goes there turns, it, turns into shit. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, it's not a good viewing experience for the fans. Terrible views. I mean, the bar there, well, the bar there, I mean, they, they want $22 for a beer. It's so insulting. It ruins the fun. It ruins the vibe. Plus, everybody's spread out between New York, New York, Monte Carlo. When you put it inside MGM Grand, the whole, you know, the whole boxing fraternity, they're packed in one spot. It just makes it a lot more exciting. It's a much right. better fit for the sport. And then for me, the, the press office is like right there by the arena. It's so much better. But, can, you know, can you do a, just a quick description of what you do specifically, Jim? Because I always get questions about how the second market works, you know, it, with these Vegas fights, how ASX, right, they'll release tickets. You'll, let's say Golden Boy Promotions. I remember when it was uh, Canelo and Golovkin. They're like, oh, tickets are going on sale tomorrow at noon, right? And then they're on the site. And you have a lot of fans going on there, and they're saying, dude, I'm getting shut out. I, I can't buy tickets. What the hell is going on? The fight's not sold out, but I can't buy tickets. Can you explain just a little bit how that process works, the secondary market and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So a promoter will you know, price and scale a fight. The biggest mistake that promoters make, and I, I know this is a fact from promoting shows myself, is they do not put enough of the cheap seats available. Whatever the cheap, cheapest ticket's going to be, the promoter has to make those readily available, not 200 of them, not 2,000. You know, for a bigger fight, there's got to be a lot of them because that's what the normal person is going to buy. And that's why you constantly get people saying, well, we went to go to the show and it's sold out, despite the fact that there's, you know, plenty of seats available like there is for uh, Saturday. It's all the higher-end seats. So what I do is I broker tickets. You know, I work on a fight-by-fight basis with either the building, the promoter, the sponsors or all three sometimes and kind of every deal is, you know, is different based on the, you know, the fight and, and the demand and everything else. So that's kind of, you know, where I fit in. Um, I work all the fights here domestically, you know, basically all the big Vegas fights, LA fights, New York fights. So it, uh, it keeps me busy and I'll certainly be in uh, Texas next week for the matchroom card. That's a at, hell of a uh, card. Man. Oh, yeah. I, I can't wait. I love, I love working fights in Texas. And I'll tell you what, I've never, I've never worked at, uh, the new, um, uh, Jerry Jones's practice facility, so I can't be more excited to uh, to get out there and then check that out. And you're all over the country, man. I, I last time I saw you was in Chicago for that Usyk fight. Uh, so basically, when, when tickets go on sale, you decide based on what the price is, the deal that you could get, whether you're going to do a buy-in, how many you're going to buy, and then you go from there, right? So it, it, it's a little more sophisticated than that. I kind of partner of course, with the yeah. promoters. A lot of times, I, a lot of times I have to do sponsorships with it just to keep everything above board. But yeah, it, it's, you know, I look at a fight, I'll put it this way. And I, you know, I can look at a fight and I'll know in five minutes, if it, five minutes, I'll know in 30 seconds if a promoter's making a mistake or not. And, and the good thing over the years is I, I think that's actually brought the price of tickets down. You know, this whole idea that, Oh, we're going to price tickets for $50 a piece. Well, that's great. But if a person goes to Ticketmaster or AXS day, then they got service fees. They can't buy a pair of tickets for less than a hundred dollars. Right. So I think over the years, as I just don't buy these types of seats, 
you know, they start coming back with these lower prices because, again, this is boxing. You have to service the fans who just want to go there and not spend an arm and a leg and a wing. So it's uh, it, it's a fun business, and it's definitely going to be very exciting 2020 moving forward. Yeah, man, those service fees. I, again, I'll go back to Canelo Golovkin. Some of the service fees I saw, because people were doing a screenshot and tweeting it out. I was like, holy shit, it's crazy. So when people buy they tickets have, with they you, have they don't have to deal with that. that are, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. Sometimes I mark the tickets up. Sometimes I sell them for less. But I, I'm more, I'm more upfront in the sense that the price I give you is the price I, you pay. For example, like with this fight right now, I say it's five hundred dollars. You know, for a ticket to the fight, you're paying five hundred dollars. Now, is that seat marked up? Yes, it is. That was originally three hundred and fifty dollar ticket. But the reality is, the quality of seats I have are better than if you went to AXS to buy the ticket for five hundred plus all the fees. And you it's, actually know where the good it, good seats are. That's another thing I always tell. I yes. Jim, I refer people to you all the time. And one of the things I always tell people is, you know where the good seats are. Every arena has like that hidden section of the best seats that you know, bang for for your buck wise. And you know where they're at yes. in every damn arena in America. So you're the guy to talk to about this stuff. Yep, there's a lot of you know. It's we see, for example, at MGM Grand. Just not not to get too technical. But two off dead center is like a section 17 or even one off dead center, like a section 15. You know, people see that on the map. It looks sexy, especially those low rows. And they always cheat the public by throwing row A in there. It's like, oh, my God, I can get 17 row A. That has to be possibly the worst seat in the house. Mm. You will not see any action at all. You'll see you're going to look in, you're going to be looking at the screen the entire night. So it's not like they're being disingenuous, but it's just kind of like. People get tricked into seeing a row A. It looks good on the map, and it's absolutely awful. You're way too low. You're on the corner. You're obstructed by the post. So, yeah, I have a lot of knowledge, and, you know, you know me. I like to talk to everybody. We do a lot more of just, like, over-the-phone sales so we can talk to the customer, walk them through the process, and really try to deliver, you know, a good experience. My business is based on repeat clientele, and, um, and, and I take every serious – you know, I take people very seriously when it comes to what they're looking for. Well, Jim, I appreciate it, man. Uh, give everyone your, your number, uh, your Twitter, everything like that, where they could get in contact with you if they are interested in getting out to Vegas this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on Twitter, it's at KO Tickets and uh, KOTickets.com, www.kotickets.com. That's got all the information, where my office is, everything else. But give me a call. I'll be around MGM all week, and it's definitely going to be a very exciting uh, week in the fight capital of the world. It's going to be a good time. Jim, thanks a lot, man. Let's do it again sometime, brother. Have fun this weekend. Definitely. I appreciate it. Yep. Take care, brother. Bye. All right, everybody. Mr. Jim Boone of KO Tickets. Awesome call. Hopefully you guys got a little bit of inside scoop there about how that works. And now we'll go ahead and uh, open the phone line. So you guys uh, call in if you want. Also, uh, during that chat with Jim, uh, just uh, saw a super chat pledge from Sean Thompson. He says, finally time I could join the live chat. Hope you're well, brother. Keep up the good work. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. And uh, guys, I'm not just saying it because he's my friend. Jim Boone knows what he's talking about. He is the go-to guy. Anytime I have a question about not just what tickets to buy, what sections of a fight, but when to buy, I think the most important thing for boxing fans is to know when to buy. And it, it's not just for the big shows in Vegas. It's also for the club shows. It's everywhere. Okay. Every single event. A lot of promoters, as Jim mentioned, um, they, for some reason, when they drop tickets on these big fights, they only want to release 
a few hundred of the cheap tickets. They want to keep those going because I don't know if they want to mark it up later or what they want to do with it. But there's always some kind of, I don't want to say scam, but there's some kind of method they're trying to pull. Some kind of, maybe it is a scam, to try to get people to buy in at different times, to kind of manipulate the market as they go through the promotion. A guy like Jim can see through all that shit because he's been doing this for decades. He's been doing it forever. It's his business. He doesn't do this part-time like a lot of people in the boxing industry. This is his full-time job. This is his business. So he's very, very familiar with it, and he works exclusively in boxing. So, guys, anytime any of you have a question about going to a fight and you want to know when to buy tickets, drop me a line and I'll get you in touch with Jim. He's the best person, the best source to ask about this stuff. Okay, let's get to the fight review. And then, of course, we got a big preview coming up. Also, I should mention, I'm going to film a specific Wilder Fury 2 prediction video. I'll do that later today. It'll probably be posted at some time tomorrow. So look for that, okay? I'm not going to give away too much here on TNC today. I'm going to do a really quick preview. Of course, we'll take your guys' calls and everything. But I'm going to do a detailed preview and prediction for that fight and release it on a different video. All right, so last Friday, February 14th, the Honda Center, Anaheim, California, Golden Boy Promotions on the zone. It was a Valentine's Day special, and both Ryan Garcia and Jorge Linares lived up to their end of the bargain of what they were supposed to do, right? Ryan Garcia with a KO1 win over Francisco Fonseca. Very, very impressive knockout. Uh, Of course, you guys have all seen the replays, but what was so nice about what Ryan Garcia did is A, it showed craft, but B, it showed extreme ability. He saw, he he gave it a few seconds, a few ticks, and, and it was the first round, so he didn't have a whole lot to see, but he saw a few times where Fonseca was going to shoot a right hand, how he targeted, or I'm sorry, um, telegraphed it with his shoulder and was kind of looping it. So what Ryan Garcia did is simply timed it and shot a left, I'd call it a 45. People are calling it a left hook. It was kind of a 45 inside of and underneath Fonseca's right hand. The underneath part is what's most impressive to me. You have to have better hand speed than your opponent to do that. Okay, a lot of you younger guys or even you older guys, you should know better. But any of you guys that spar, that compete in boxing at all, that are weekend warriors, you go to your gym and spar. Do not try that shit unless you are positive that you are the faster guy. You have to have the faster hands to pull that move. You have to have very good timing and knowledge and, and vision to see what's coming. But also your left hand better get there before that right hand comes back. And so Ryan Garcia, with his reach, he was at the perfect range to land that punch. So even if somehow he missed, let's say, Fonseca's right hand wouldn't have had that much effect because he would have been just outside of the perfect impact of that punch. So watch a replay of that, and Ryan sees it coming, shoots that left 45 inside and underneath Fonseca's right hand. Really pretty stuff. Landed flush, with thrown at perfect range with perfect vision. Garcia didn't even blink while he shot it. So that kid is learning. He is learning. He's been with the Reynosos, I think, for about a year and a half now. And um, he's improved every time. So he's Now, did this fight prove a whole lot? It proved that he's learning a little bit. It proved that he is thinking in there and seeing things. I like all that. But was he tested? The answer is no. 
The answer is no. And I tweeted about this. Uh, you know, look, a lot of people are getting really excited about Ryan Garcia. I get it. From a promotional standpoint, he's a promoter's dream, right? The boxing industry is salivating over this kid for a million reasons. But as impressive as, as this win was, Fonseca is a natural 130. He's been stopped before. He was stopped at his best weight by Gervonta Davis. Now, Garcia's knockout was more impressive, but when you look at the size factor and everything else, Ryan Garcia still has not been tested. He hasn't fought one, not one, actual, natural, lightweight who could punch. Not one. So until that happens, we can't get too excited. It just so happens that's probably what's going to take place next. Jorge Linares, KO4 win over Carlos Morales, his first time ever being stopped. So this was an impressive win by Linares. But when you look at matchmaking, Morales is perfect for him. Perfect for him. Plays right into Jorge Linares' strength. So this was perfect matchmaking by Golden Boy Promotions. They're getting better and better at this shit because this was beautiful textbook showcase matchmaking for both of these guys, but especially Jorge Linares, who was cut from a headbutt in the first round, dropped Morales in the third and fourth round. And now this sets up a fight between the two of them Probably going to be at Staples Center in Los Angeles in July, in the dead of summer. There's no basketball going on. There's no football going on. It's just baseball there. It's, you know, the Doyers are going to be in town, but they don't play there at Staples, obviously. I don't know the date yet, but this will be at Staples Center, downtown L.A., Ryan Garcia, Jorge Linares, this is going to be a big, big crowd. I think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. And if Ryan Garcia gets tested in that fight, and shows us a little extra element, defeats Jorge Linares in impressive fashion, then we can get excited. Because guess what? Even this faded, well past his best years version of Jorge Linares, if, if Garcia beats him impressively, that's a better win than Devin Haney or Javante Davis have at this point. That's the reality. Teofimo Lopez, I think, still is a little further ahead. But, if he beats Linares, that's a better win than Tate Davis has or Devin Haney has. So that's a big deal. Also on this card, um, let's see, uh, Blair Cobbs won a close split decision kind of fight. I think he was docked a point at one point for punching low. And uh, Alexis uh, uh, Rocha also won. I, I didn't mind him getting the decision, but the scorecards were kind of wide. I got to say this about Golden Boy Promotions. You know, I've criticized them for a while, and other people have, for being Canelo only. It was Canelo and the Canelo ears basically was how Golden Boy ran their business. Well, now they've got Ryan Garcia and they've got Virgil Ortiz. And if they could keep the two of them happy, and by the way, Oscar, Eric, you guys need to start paying more attention to Virgil Ortiz, okay? Don't shoot your wide only on Ryan Garcia. But with those two fighters, they've got a, another decade if they keep them happy and they keep signing with Golden, re-signing with Golden Boy. Dude, you're good. So Golden Boy is a strong little core nucleus there, those three guys. Canelo obviously is the biggest brand in the sport, but the difference with between Canelo and the, the prospects for Ryan Garcia and Virgil Ortiz is they're American. They're Mexican-American. So they have the ability and I would say the uh, desire, especially with Ryan Garcia, to, be, uh, to branch out and to, to get more into the U.K. market 
the mainstream middle America, what I call the Joe six-pack market, they have that ability because they speak English. English is their first language. Canelo Alvarez speaks and understands it, but refuses to speak it publicly because he doesn't want to lose his Mexican pass because there are some Mexican fans that, believe it or not, look down upon a fighter from Mexico speaking English. They, looked at it, they look at him as selling out if he does that. I think that's crazy, but that is a dynamic that exists from the fan base down there. Uh, but with Ryan Garcia and with Virgil Ortiz Jr., they have that ability to truly cross over. Those guys could do late-night TV on Jimmy Kimmel and all those kind of shows, right? Because English is their first language. Ryan Garcia, obviously, would be huge on any of those shows because all the females are going to get interested. So Golden Boy has a nice little future they're putting together right here. They just have to be very, very careful how they proceed with those two fighters. But I got to give them credit for that. And to let you know how invested they are in Ryan Garcia, I found this interesting. Uh, purses for this fight. Ryan Garcia made 250000 Francisco Fonseca made thirty grand. Huge difference. Jorge Linares, who's a former champion, multi-weight titleist, I do believe, made $100,000. And his opponent, Morales, made 80000 So look at the pay scale for the co-main. And then look at the pay scale difference in the main. And you see where Golden Boy's heart is, <laughs> where their heart and soul is. It's with Ryan Garcia. All right, we got a couple calls here. Let's uh, jump on. Looks like we got a UK caller, I do believe. Uh, 5232, you are on the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. What's going on? Five Hi, two- Mike. Hey, how you doing? Very good. How are you, sir? Good. Uh, this is Arturo from Mexico. Oh, Arturo, what's up, man? How you doing, brother? Very good, sir. Very good. Okay, so uh, I'm not listening to the show on YouTube, but uh, I want to talk about Jorge Linares and uh, those guys in the 155-pound uh, division. As you know, I'm Venezuelan, so I'm pretty familiar with Linares' career. But I do not think that in the last fight, uh, even Linares and Garcia, they fought guys like, uh, like I'm saying, you know, it was a guy number 50 and number 50. Right. Uh, Arturo, uh, Arturo, Arturo, your, your call is really, really breaking up. Uh, could you uh, ask that one more time? But your call is really, really breaking up a lot, man. Um, if it keeps breaking up like that, I'm going to ask you to call back. But if you got a question, shoot it real quick because your call keeps breaking up. I don't worry about it. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead and ask your question real quick because your call keeps breaking up. So. My question is, what about Roland Romero? Please, like, tell me. There's nobody calling me out. I can't hear you. I'm sorry, Arturo. Can you call back? Your uh, your call's breaking up, and sure. I can't hear your question, brother. It keeps breaking up. I tried to sure. listen, but give us a call back, okay? Call when back you get over. in a better area, give calls back. I will. All right. Thank you so much, Arturo. All right. Yeah, guys, uh, I, I just couldn't hear that call. So uh, let's jump on to another call here real quick. 8523, you are on the neutral corner. What's up? I hear, Hi, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, and I think some kids playing in the background. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, sorry, sorry, I'm on the street. Uh, I listen to your show. 
I'm Roberto from Peru. Peru, uh, how you doing, Roberto? And I want to ask you, fine things. And uh, a few people who listen to you in Peru because Peru is the boxing is not so spread, but I really love the sport, so I really listen to your show. I'm very, and you are very active in Twitter, so I follow you. Almost all the stories, everything is great. Great work on your part, and thank you for the, for the opportunity to call you. Well, thank you for calling and for saying all that and for following the show. I appreciate that. Yes, and now, based on the show, I want to provide my analysis for the fight, Fury versus Wilder. Really, at this time, and I'm thinking uh, Fury is going to outbox completely, completely to Wilder. I think Fury hasn't been so aware on the last fight in order to reach this fight. But Fury has this kind of talent, has been shown in the fight against Plisco, that he can outbox anyone. He is too tall. He has so much boxing. So I think he is going to outbox Wilder. And we are going to have a new champion, WBC World Heavyweight Champion. And so you think that He's going to win big. Like, do you, like, what do you, how many rounds do you think Fury's going to win, Roberto? Do you think it's going to be like nine rounds, 10 rounds, like a completely one sided fight? Or do you think it'll be close? No, one sided fight. I, I think uh, Wilder is going to try to do the same thing he did with Luis Ortiz. But this time, it's not going, he cannot catch Fury. Fury too, has too much boxing. And has too much ability, so I think I don't see how how uh, how Wilder can beat Fury. I know he has the power in the, in the hands, mm-hmm. but Fury has too much boxing. I hope this happens because Fury fights to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Yeah, Fury, I, I agree with Wilder you. doesn't want to fight Joshua. Why they delay a lot? They talk a lot. Joshua is the same, but Fury. Has no fear, has no afraid of anyone. He can, he wants to fight to please go to, to Germany. He went to America after one year out of the boxing to fight Wilder when Wilder was a completely destroyer. And now he's fighting again. So I hope he won. And I want to, to see him fighting to Joshua for all the belts. That'd be huge. I will say, I agree with you that if Tyson Fury wins, I do think it's more likely that we get a unified champion, that we see the fight between him and Joshua. I think if Deontay Wilder wins, a fight between him and Joshua will not happen for another maybe two years. So I agree with you. It's probably better for boxing, for the heavyweight division, if Tyson Fury wins. It's probably better for American boxing if Deontay Wilder wins. But uh, you are on the record, sir. Thank you for calling in. And I hope everything down there in Peru is going well. And we'll talk again soon. All right? Have a good day. Oh, yeah. Great. Thank you. Same to you, my friend. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Our first call from Peru. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. Durden Boxing with the Super Chat Pledge. She says, I love me some Ryan Garcia, the goods. And the goods is all caps. And we just had a uh, Super Chat Pledge from CJ Duncan a minute ago, too. Said, uh, logging off for a conference call. Keep up the A1 effort. All right, guys, thank you so much. Let's get back to 
the review from last week, uh, Saturday, February 15, PBC on Fox from the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. This was on Fox um, from TGB Promotions. And in the main event, Caleb Sweethands Plant scores his 12th knockout of his career to improve to 20 0. TKO 10 win over Vincent Feigenbutz, the second defense of Plant's IBF super middleweight title. He called out David Benavidez, the WBC titleist, next. So, few things to say about this fight. Um, by the way, I covered this card for ringtv.com. So if you guys want to see my write-ups on this fight and the other two fights on the Fox broadcast, go over to ringtv.com and you'll see uh, my detailed breakdown there uh, live right after the fights happen. So for Plant, um, look, some people thought that uh, Fagin Boots lasted too long, that Plant played with his food too much and I don't agree with that. Um, I, I think uh, the German kid obviously was very, very tough and determined. A lot of mental will and fortitude. Sorry, guys. I'm getting a bunch of text on my phone from everybody talking about tickets for, <laughs> for the fight this weekend. Uh, so sorry if you're hearing that beeping noise. That's just people texting me. But um, for Plant, some people didn't like his performance. Some people loved it and thought he looked like the pound-for-pound pound number one fighter in the world. I think it's somewhere in the middle. This was a showcase-level opponent. He won every second of every round. Do I think maybe he could have did a little bit more and got him out of there a little sooner? Maybe, but that's just not Plant's style. All in all, look, this is the second journeyman-level opponent in a row or perennial contender or whatever term you want to use. To me, journeyman isn't a diss. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just I think calling a fighter a bum is a bad thing. But there are journeymen, and I just think Feigenbutz, you know, it's when it all sorts out on the grand global scale, he's a journeyman-level opponent, and so is Mike Lee. This is the second journeyman-level opponent in a row for Caleb Plant after winning the title over Jose Uzcatagai last year. And Uzcatagai, as good of a fighter as he is, he's a good, solid fighter. He was a top-ten super middleweight, obviously, when they fought. I don't know if he still is. Not an elite fighter. I'm ready to see Caleb Plant face an elite fighter. David Benavidez is an elite fighter. So if that fight doesn't happen next, shame on all parties involved. It should happen. Look, there was a good crowd there in Nashville. And I know for a fact from people that were there that I talked to that there were several, maybe thousand, free tickets given out. There was some papering going on. But there were also thousands and thousands of tickets sold, both for the full sticker, sticker price and for uh, discounted prices uh, you know, up on Fight Week, the, the walk-up during Fight Week. But it was a good crowd regardless of how the people got there, a good crowd. And it was a good showcase type of performance for Caleb Plant. There was a lead-in from an XFL card on Fox that led right into this broadcast. There was a couple of good fights on the undercard you know, that started the broadcast that led up to the main event. So all in all, this night went about as good as it could have gone for PBC and for the Caleb Plant brand. Now you got to capitalize on that and this momentum. In a fight between him and David Benavidez, whom he called out, correctly called out after this fight, that's got to happen by the end of the summer. I don't want this shit happening in December at in Brooklyn at Barclays somewhere where it does not belong and it also should not be pay-per-view Joe Goosen during the broadcast said that the fight between Plant and Benavidez is a pay-per-view fight now was that a Freudian slip 
Did somebody in the executive management group talk to him a little bit and say, here's the plan going forward. Here's what we're going to do with these two. And it's probably going to be pay-per-view, Joe. Did he let that slip? We'll find out. But a fight between Plant and Benavidez does not belong on pay-per-view. Where it does belong is Fox. Go right back to Fox. And do it in a place. You want to go to Vegas? You want to get your money? Take it to Vegas. Plant lives there in Vegas now. He trains, I think, in, he lives in Henderson, which is a suburb of Vegas. Him and Jordan Hart. I was going to say Jordan Hardy. It's Jordan Plant now. They, had, they just bought a house there. So he's based out of Vegas. Benavidez is from the Southwest, Mexican-American. That fan contingent will show up in Vegas. That fight, do it in Vegas. Get your casino site feed. Put that shit on regular Fox. Not Showtime, not pay-per-view, and it will do numbers. But they can't sit for too long. They need to jump right on this. I saw um, back in the chat here, let me check this out. There was a super chat pledge from Drew. Thank you so much, Drew. He asked, who's your favorite at 135? Lomachenko. Lomachenko. Look, right now, Lomachenko is the champion at 135. Right after him, it's Teofimo Lopez. So if you're asking me, Who is my favorite of the 135 youngsters where we've got Haney, we've got Tank Davis now, we've got Ryan Garcia. My favorite guy right now is Teofimo Lopez. He's the most proven. He's got a title. It's not just that he has a title. It's it's he's actually beat some decent guys and proven himself. He's been tested and he's passed those tests. He's further along in the process than Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia. I think Lomachenko is going to beat him, but He's going to learn so much from that fight and move up to 140 pounds and be an instant player in that division overnight. And he might be the best guy at 140 a year from now. You heard it here, folks. So I'm highest on Tiafima Lopez. Uh, Back to Nashville. Abel Ramos, TKO 12 win over Bryant Goodfella Perella. I love how the Italian guy, his nickname is Goodfella. Gee, that's not a stereotype. A crossroads welterweight fight. And look, if you watch this fight live, holy shit, the drama at the very end. Perella outboxed Ramos for nine and three-quarters rounds. Shit, maybe nine and nine-tenths rounds. This was a ten-round fight. And then he just kind of got unfocused for a split second there. It was like the last 30 seconds of the last round of the fight that he had dominated. Not just on the outside, but on the inside, at mid-range, everywhere. It was a beautiful performance. He showed a lot of range in that performance. And then he slipped just a little bit for a split second. Ramos landed a beautiful left uppercut, flush, that Perella didn't even see coming. He goes down, gets up, totally on reflex, and because he was in such good shape. But he was completely discombobulated. Had that uppercut landed in the first two rounds, he would have been hurt. He would have went down, mind you. But I think he would have recovered better because it was so late in the fight and he was so tired. He threw like, I want to say like 800-some punches. He was hurt. He gets up to his feet. He tries to continue. And I'm thinking, man, okay, he got dropped. Ramos, you know, kept fighting a good fight, dropped him, and he gets to hang his hat on that, that he got. He almost had him, right? But no, he he follows up and drops Perella again with an overhand right. Perella goes down, gets up again because of his reflexes. Perella, good amateur career, good local, you know, domestic level amateur career. The guy's got experience, okay? He knows how to conduct himself in the ring. 
it wasn't necessarily his brain telling him to get up. That was his body just from reflex getting up. But he was on very unsteady legs. Referee Jack Reese asked him to not only, you know, are you okay? Do you want to continue? All that typical stuff. But Jack asked him, walk to your left and then stop and come back to me. He said all that. Perella tried, but he stumbled. So Jack, I believe correctly, stopped the fight. There was, I've heard a second left on the clock. I think, it, I think it was one second officially on the clock. Other people have said the timekeeper screwed up and there was a few more seconds than that. Whatever. Either way, there was only a few seconds left. And a lot of people were furious. Obviously, Perella's team was furious. But if you think about it, and Joe Goosen, you know, who I just, you know, had a little fun with a minute ago, one good point he did make during the Fox broadcast is he said, look, Jack Reese is not a timekeeper. He's a ref. And that's a great quote from Joe Goosen, and it's so true. The referee is supposed to assess a fighter who's hurt. If they're no longer able to defend themselves, it doesn't matter if it's the first round or the final round. It doesn't matter if there's 10 more rounds to go or 10 more seconds to go. You call off the damn fight. If you hurt a fighter to the point where they can no longer defend themselves and there's still time left on the clock, technically – That's a technical knockout win for you. That's why they call it the hurt business. And that's why boxing, I feel, and yeah, I'm a little biased. Boxing has that kind of drama, that unpredictable, crazy drama out of nowhere, seemingly, that you just do not get in other sports. You see awesome slam dunks in the NBA. You see crazy Hail Mary passes in the NFL. You see grand slams in baseball. But you do not see – it just doesn't work this way in other sports. You don't see – In the NFL, let's take the NFL. You don't have one team dominate a game for three and a half quarters, and then on one play, the other team wins. The score can't be 28 to three, and then you score one touchdown and win a game. It doesn't work that way. That shit only exists in martial arts. And I think boxing, you have have the chance for it more than other uh, combat sports, other martial arts, because in boxing, you have more rounds. You go deeper into a fight, guys get more and more tired. And Ramos's pressure, if this was a three-round fight like in the MMA or a five-round fight or whatever, Ramos wouldn't have won a round. He maybe would have got a round. But because this was a 10-round fight, it's a marathon. Every one of these fights is a damn marathon. He was able to keep grinding, keep grinding, and finally he got through. And that's the shit that movies are made of. That was crazy. I did not expect that. That was a great lead-in to Caleb Plant's made event. Uh, TGB Promotions and everyone there at, at PBC on Fox, they had to be thrilled with that because, I mean, people were talking about that for a while. Also on this card, Diego Magdaleno, unanimous decision win in the 10-rounder uh, lightweight fight against Nashville's Austin Dulay. Knocked him down in the seventh. Dulay won the first two rounds, looked good early on, but then Magdaleno took over. Pressure, all-out pressure. Some veteran, nasty, rough stuff in there. A lot of low blows that Jack Reese kind of let go. But to Jack's credit, he did start warning him. He did take a point. And after he took a point, I believe in the seventh round, Magdaleno cleaned that shit up, 
and just thoroughly won this fight down the stretch. Just kind of owned it and cruised late. Good, solid win for him. This was a comeback win for him after that stoppage loss to Lopez last year. So good job, Magdaleno. And Dulé just isn't the guy some people thought he was. He's just not going to get to that level. He's going to stay at that perennial contender level. And that's fine. But he's just not, never going to be that elite level fighter. All right, we got another call here. Let's uh, jump on the phone lines. Three two two. You're on the neutral corner. What's up? What's up, Mike? It's Arturo again. Can you hear me? I can hear you much better, Arturo. Okay, great. I'm I'm on the highway. So uh, my question was that um, Linares and Garcia fought the last weekend, right? And uh, Garcia has only fought two rounds since his last two fights, and he hasn't received any punches. And Linares is the Venezuelan American. He has a, a green ch- a chest. Uh, I'm sorry. Glass so chin. So my question yeah. is, glass chin, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, he's the Venezuelan American. That's how I call him. Okay, so my question is, if there is a guy who has a better ranking in the 135 division, who is Rolando Romero Rollis from Mayweather. I think he's from the TMT team. So my question is, why he hasn't fought Ryan Garcia, or, or why is anybody calling him out? Because he's making great knockouts. He fight. He, he he's gonna fight in the Wilder Fury um, undercard. Billboard show undercard. Yes. So my question is, is there any reason why is this guy not fighting or not having this big fight, or is just hype? I mean, like I'm just watching like the social media and his last fight. I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think that with Ryan Garcia, it's, you said the same thing I said, where he's just not – he hasn't fought a guy that could punch back. You're right. His last two fights have been not even two full rounds, and that's a bad thing because he's not developing. And at some point, that's probably going to cost him. At some point, he has to be tested. Remember when Teofimo Lopez fought that Japanese kid last year? It went the distance. He didn't look very good, but he learned in that fight. He was tested a little bit, and he, he improved from it. Ryan Garcia has not gone through that process yet. Now, the reason why he's fighting Jorge Linares next is because of what you just said. He is the Venezuelan Amir Khan. He does have, I don't want to say glass chin, but he, he has been knocked out several times, okay? And I think he's a former champion, a uh, longtime champion. And it's a good win for Ryan Garcia if he passes that test. Maybe Jorge Linares can test him early, land a couple shots. We can see if Ryan Garcia can take those shots. But Linares will probably tire in the middle rounds, and Garcia will probably knock him out. And that will be a, what we call a brand-building fight. It'll, it'll build Ryan Garcia's brand. It's similar, different, but similar to what you just saw with Gervonta Davis when he fought Yoriokas Gamboa. Gamboa, a former champion uh, from lower weight classes, very, very faded past his best. And Gervonta Davis, um, you know, was dominant. He didn't look very good in that fight, but he was dominant and clearly decisively won. So if Ryan Garcia looks even better, and knocks out Jorge Linares, let's say in the fourth, fifth round, he then can 
Golden Boy Promotions could use that as a marketing tool to push Ryan Garcia forward. Uh, as far as Mayweather Promotions fighter, Mayweather doesn't match his fighters tough. If you look at the way he's matched Gervonta Davis so far, and I understand Ryan Garcia has not been matched tough either, but Golden Boy Promotions, they have matched some of their other fighters very tough. I think Mayweather, he just doesn't like to match his fighters tough. I, I would love to see a fight between Ryan Garcia, if he beats Linares, and Javante Davis. I would love to see that fight. And I actually think Golden Boy Promotions would like to make that fight. I don't think Floyd Mayweather and TMT Promotions want to make it. Um, and what about Rolando Romero, Roli? He beat uh, Garcia as in, in the sparring session. He always talk about it. So, and he's developing great KO's performance. So that's my big question. Why isn't this guy getting this fight? At least I, I saw a video about with Mayweather saying that if Ryan wants to fight Tank, he needs to fight Pierce uh, Rolando. So do you know anything about it? No. No, I think... Um... Look, Floyd Mayweather says a lot of things. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather says a lot of crazy things. And, you know, that's what, that's what promoters do. So I, whenever Floyd says something, whenever Oscar De La Hoya says something, I wouldn't pay too much attention to what they're saying, okay? Um, you have to look at the business side of it. The bigger fight right now, the bigger fight is between... Ryan Garcia and Gervonta Davis. That would be the best fight to make between two guys at 135 pounds, two young guys. Why, why is Floyd Mayweather, why is he not talking about that fight? Why does he want Ryan Garcia to fight other guys first? I don't think that makes sense. I would like to see. So you're talking about uh, Rolando Romero, right? Exactly. That one. Yeah. So, uh, he's from Guatemala. I think it's Guatemalan roots, or I don't know. Well, he fights but, out. He fights he's out of real, Vegas now, but yeah, he's a great fighter. He's a good. He's look. He's got a nice knockout streak and everything. But I'm I'm pulling up his uh, record here, and I'm looking at his opponents. His resume isn't very good as far as the guys he's fighting. He's scoring good knockouts, impressive knockouts. But I would say Ryan Garcia is a little further along right now in his development. He's fought guys uh, like Fonseca. And uh, Duno, the last guy he fought, I think those are better wins than than Romero has so far. So I think I just you know Floyd says a lot of crazy stuff, man. And, and honestly, Romero needs to step up his opposition before he can fight Ryan Garcia. That's the way I see it. I'd love to see the fight, the, the battle, but he needs to step up the his opposition. Between them is about, the battle between them is about uh, a sparring session that the role is always talk about it. And he has the YouTube videos where – he whoops uh, Garcia asking that question. So that's why he's saying, like, oh, uh, you, you want to fight? Fight me. I, I already beat you once. So yeah, but that's the reason I'm talking about. The thing with sparring, Arturo, is sparring, it all, it all comes down to timing. I mean, there, there are videos you can find on YouTube of um, Paul Spadafora beating the shit out of Floyd Mayweather in sparring. Does anyone think Paul Spadafora was as good of a fighter as Floyd Mayweather? Spadafora was a good fighter. He's crazy in the head. He's had a lot of problems outside the ring, but he was a good fighter, but nowhere near as good as Floyd. But there's sparring footage out there of Spadafora beating the shit out of Floyd because Spadafora was in shape and Floyd wasn't. 
So you can't put too much into sparring um, or into the amateurs because it's the same thing with the amateurs. Sometimes you have a guy that's 18, 19 years old fighting uh, and he's very experienced fighting a younger guy that doesn't have experience and he beats him. But then later on in the pros, the guy that he beat ends up being a better pro than he is. So you can't put too much into sparring stories and even amateur stories. It's about what happens in the professional ring. And so far, I think Romero needs to step up his opposition if he wants to fight Ryan Garcia. There's just much bigger fights for Ryan Garcia at this point. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Have a good one, Arturo. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we got one more call here, guys, and then we will jump into the preview for this weekend. Let's see. Uh, three five three eight. You are on the neutral corner. What's going on? What's going on? How's it going? Good. Uh, this is Mark from Ireland again. I um, hope you're well this week. I um, hope everybody's looking forward to the fight. And I know that you're going to do a preview and do a prediction on the biggest fight of the weekend. Um, you're going to do a prediction video. But like, I'm convinced I can get you to talk about it and just give me one name on who's going to win just by asking you one question. Okay. So the biggest fight of the weekend, who have you got? Zhao <laughs> uh, Santosima or uh, Emmanuel Navarrete. Oh, I see what you did there. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know what? I think the Filipino is going to shock the world, brother. Yeah? Yeah, bet, yeah. That, bet everything, your life savings on the Filipino kid. Everyone's sleeping on him. Honestly, you know, Mark, it's a pretty shitty undercard. It's a pretty shitty undercard, my man. <laughs> There's no other way no, to put it. No, it's it's not that bad. Charles Martin <laughs> in Washington—that's actually competitive. That it's it competitive will be competitive. Point. I don't know how entertaining it will be, but it will be competitive. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, one thing I I just want to respond to a little bit to last time. You know, it's sparring. Uh, David Price knocked out Anthony Joshua. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there's there, all there kinds of stories. I mean, there. I remember hearing all kinds of stories in Michigan about James Tony getting his ass handed to him in sparring because he was never in shape, and James would never do road work. He'd do bag work and sparring. That's how he got in shape for fights. And the first few weeks of camp, mm-hmm. he get tuned up. But by about that third, fourth week of camp, he beat the shit out of everybody. They'd have to bring in new sparring partners. So you can't put yeah. too much into sparring. You just can't. No, especially because sparring is where you're working on things for specific fights. And it's just a training regime, pretty much, depending on what you're doing. Sometimes it's just for work. Sometimes you're just working on your job. If someone puts it on you tough and they get on in the inside, they can chin you. Exactly. Um, and can happen. But, um, yeah, so this this weekend's fight, um, I personally have Tyson Fury. I already did my own kind of like little prediction thing, but that, that's a that's gonna be that's gonna be a hell of a fight. It's very important for the division, um, and afterwards, like whatever happens with the second and third fights, the only thing we really really need at this stage for me is to see undisputed, because like I only started watching boxing live in uh, two thousand and three or two thousand and two. Sorry, uh, Lennox and Tyson pay per view. I wasn't allowed to watch. Uh, live fights until I was until I was ten, so okay. I never got to see two heavyweights actually unify to become undisputed because the last time it happened was ninety nine with Lennox and Holyfield. Right. Um. 
So, and that means that there's a generation of boxing fans who haven't had that experience. Like you were around, you watched boxing, then you, you know what that's like. You know what it's like to experience it live. It's a massive thing. The undisputed heavyweight championship of the world that goes back to story, like watching Rocky and everything and the new undisputed heavyweight right. champion of the world. Like that term, like even young kids, like you hear, you see them in gyms and they're fighting and you hear them calling themselves undisputed, like that little fantasy in your head. Right. And the fact that they've been playing with that for so long is still mind boggling to me. Like it's, it's just the marination. I, I, this is literally the marination era. Some people call it the Floyd era, but it, it, marination has been going on for a long time. Look with Ray Leonard. And I, I, I just want to ask, ask this. Do you think Deontay Wilder will ever fight Anthony Joshua if he wins? That's a good question. Um, I, I Not think... because of him, because of promotion. You know what? Ultimately, it, it, it falls on the fighter. The, the promotion is supposed to work for the fighter. So I understand why you say that. But I would say that's bullshit. If, look, Lennox Lewis and Riddick Bowe never fought, right? And it was 100% on Riddick Bowe. So if, if this doesn't happen, look, if Deontay Wilder beats Tyson Fury, let's say he knocks him out in the second round. It's so decisive. We don't need to see a third fight. What happens yep. from there? Well, he's probably going to end up fighting Adam Kovnachi uh, or one of those kind of guys, right, And, and for, at the end of the year. And then there will be a, the WBC will give him a mandatory. Maybe finally Dillian White will get a crack early next year. It's going to be at least uh, – unless. Unless he loses to Bevekin or or uh, another dangerous mandatory for the WBC happens to fail a drug test to postpone things <laughs> yeah, for a little bit longer. Which could happen for the 4,000th time that we've already seen happen. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've that... It happened three different times, yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. I think that it's very, very likely should uh, Deontay Wilder beat Tyson Fury that we, mm-hmm. I, we eventually have to get the fight with him and AJ but they're probably going to delay it to 2022, something like that. Now, if Tyson Fury wins, it's probably going to be by decision, which means we're going to get a third fight with him and Wilder. So that's going to carve out this year. But if let's say Fury wins the rematch Saturday, let's say he wins the third fight later this year, maybe it's in the fall or something, then perhaps yeah. I think it's a very strong possibility in 2021 there's a fight between him and and Anthony Joshua. I really do think he has shown, he has proven that he is willing to go on the road and fight anybody. And I think it'd be very, I also think, look, Joshua has shown that he wants to come to America. It sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but it's very possible. A fight between Fury and Anthony Joshua, maybe there's a two fight, three fight series there that one of those fights is in Las Vegas is or New York. As crazy as that sounds, it's very possible. Uh, I could see a possible tri- if a trilogy happens. I can see the first fight taking place in neutral territory, this, like the second one, like at Wembley. And even though you could consider that to be neutral territory in a way, it's kind of not. Yeah, just because AJ has such a massive. That's his house. Yeah, that's part. his house. I, I mean, Ty- I, Tyson Fury is not a big star in the UK. He's not. He's probably more well known. He's a big here. name. 
Yeah. He's a very big name in the UK, massively because of being on like Good Morning TV and everything like that. He's been on a lot of it and his comments, especially associated a few years ago with the Sports Personality of the Year. He was stripped of nominee for that because of his comments. You you remember the comment. I'm not going to say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, but relating to like xenophobia and homophobia right. and everything along those lines and sexism. So and religion and all of that stuff. So he was like really ousted and he became a controversial, like more infamous name rather than famous name. So everybody kind of like just knew the name Tyson Fury. Um, but having said that, Joshua is just really well loved. And Fury's like the heel, like to use a wrestler term. Um, That's a perfect marketing campaign is, though. Oh yeah, th- them two, them, them two are like, fire and ice in a, in a in a way them two will just sell doesn't matter where you put them they, yeah. they'll sell uh fury knows how to get on the joshua's skin and when joshua's more riled up he's actually a lot more entertaining as well but if if we move can can i just like move off of that and ask one more question before i sure. leave uh just on the wbc i haven't seen anybody write anything about this but i noticed that the like they did try to make a mandatory at middleweight a few years ago with Canelo and Golovkin, but there hasn't actually been a mandatory for the WBC middleweight title since, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, since Sergio Martinez in 2012. Hmm. Yeah, that's and a good point because like, Cotto gave Golovkin step-aside money. Uh, Canelo mm-hmm. dumped the belt to avoid Golovkin. Golovkin actually did Golovkin have a mandatory? I don't think I know I think no. he fought his IBF mandatory. Um and it then is. since I went, Canelo I went through won, all of it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. The WBC hasn't had one at uh middleweight in a long time. And they were supposed to make Charlo ultimately, I believe, was gonna be the mandatory, but then they elevated but Canelo to franchise. Yeah. Yeah. That's the WBC, man. Oh. I, I could do a 10-hour-long video just beating the shit out of them, and it still wouldn't be long enough. I could do. I could do. I could as well. But um, I was just wondering, um, is, there any, is there any way like that we could see like more efforts from like people such as yourself or whatever to like call them out like within articles on that topic specifically? Like no mandatory for damn near a decade is inexcusable just make one at this stage your mandatory has been due for 10 years yeah they had one and then they created this franchise champion thing look some people are pretty honest about the sanctioning bodies i beat them up a lot not just on this show and by the way i know that they listen because i've been pulled aside in the parking lot by several officials at two different sanctioning organizations and they've told me they've heard me bash the shit out of them on the show. And to their credit, they were friendly to me and nice. And anytime I've needed to go to, especially the WBC for a story, uh, I interviewed Mauricio Suleiman recently and he was cool about everything. Uh, anytime I see him in person, he's cool. Gilberto Mendoza the same way, but, uh, there's not enough people doing it because what happens is particularly with the WBC, they have conventions, they have functions in Los Angeles and then an annual convention, usually in Mexico. But I think last year they went to, was it uh, Baku? Or, no, it wasn't Baku. They went somewhere over uh, overseas. And um, people want access to that convention. They want access to all that stuff. I'll tell yeah, you, I covered Spence Porter, okay? 
Spence Porter in yeah. Los Angeles. I was there. And after that fight, I went to a particular restaurant uh, close by the venue after that fight. And I was very surprised to see Mauricio Suleiman walking in. And I'm like, Mauricio, what's up? And we talked a little bit. And I go into this back room, and there's a room full of media people eating. The WBC put on a buffet, like a dinner for media folks. And I, I was never invited. They don't want my ass there. But, you know, they talked. I, everyone, I knew everyone there, so we were shooting the shit and talking and stuff. And then it was, like, time to eat. So I went to my table and ordered my own stuff. But it was surprising, and I almost kind of forgot about how these things work. And there were people there. There were really high ups in the media, like I call A-lister people. And then there are people like beginner level people there. Far, you know, I'm like in the middle somewhere. You know, I'm still working my way up. But I saw some people there mm-hmm. and I'm like, what are you doing here? And the reason, the reason those people are there, they're getting access. They're doing puff pieces. That's how this shit works. I could t- I've been to dinners like no, that with commission people, network people. It works everywhere. And it's not just in boxing. It's in all sports. I have friends that cover the NFL. It's the exact same thing there. So it's just yeah. how media works, man. Yeah, no, I, I understand that completely because I've been refused access to a few events myself because of certain comments. So that that happens. Um, but next time you see Mauricio, just say a guy from Ireland really wants to see a mandatory for Charlo. I, I, it's been nine years. Do us a favor. like Give us the Derevianchenko-Charlo fight. That's That'd such a great point, man. I didn't even think about that. But I actually, I'm actually going to tweet that after the show, man, because I didn't even think about that. So great point. That was the uh, just a fantastic little tidbit there that I hadn't even thought about, my friend. Well done. I'm going to jump off and get to this fight preview, Mark. Have a good one, brother. All right. Thank All you. Right, Peace. All right, guys. Great point there. Uh, that I had not thought about that, but wow. Almost a decade, no mandatory at the middleweight division for the WBC. And they had it a few times set up, and they've continued to find ways to not do it. Kind of the same thing at heavyweight. I understand that Dominic Brazil was a mandatory, uh, you know, but look, the IBF, that Charles Martin fight and uh, Gerald Washington this weekend, that's an IBF eliminator. How in the hell, how in the hell are those two fighting for an eliminator for the IBF? So they all make weird decisions, but the WBC is the biggest, a biggest budget of all the sanctioned organizations and the most powerful and influential particularly in North America, in the United States, of course, in Mexico. So their power and influence is the biggest. And when they make questionable decisions, it, it impacts the sport more than when the WBA, WBO, the IBF do it. The WBC has a greater impact when they do stupid shit. When they do good things, it has an impact, but the other sanctioned organizations, they haven't caught on to the, their weight protocol or the drug testing protocol, and they should. Anyway, all right, let's talk about what's coming up this weekend, guys. Uh, Friday, February 21st, ESPN picked up a card uh, from MTK Global in London, the Golden Contract Tournament semifinals, featherweight and super lightweight. And the Telemundo card is uh, going from Miami on Friday. So that's what's up Friday. Saturday, ESPN Plus picked up a show from Queensberry Promotions, also in London. And then, of course, the big one from the MGM Grand in Las Vegas on ESPN and Fox pay-per-view. Crazy, crazy, crazy time. Ten years ago, if I told you there'd be a big heavyweight fight between the two 
top-ranked heavyweights in the world. And right now, pretty consistently, Fury and Wilder are the top two-ranked guys. I understand a lot of people out there feel AJ's the best because of his resume, but look at most publications. Number one, number two, it's Fury, it's Wilder. And if I told you 10 years ago that the two top heavyweights in the world would be fighting on Fox and ESPN on a joint pay-per-view, you would have told me I was insane. Here we are, folks. It is 2020. So the undercard, I'm not going to spend too long on this. Emmanuel Navarrete is going to whoop the shit out of this Filipino kid, J.O. Tupas Santissima. It's a fun name to say. Look, Filipino kids usually show up and fight tough, but Navarrete is just too big, too strong, and he's going to just wear this kid down. This is the fifth defense of Navarrete's WBO Super Bantamweight title. His sixth fight in less than a year and a half. So even though his opposition has mostly been crap, including this fight, I can't really complain that much. When you've defended your title, this will be the fifth time in just over a year. And when you have fought six times in less than a year and a half, a fighter at this level fighting that often, no one else is doing that right now. So you got to give Navarrete credit for that. It's reminiscent of what Golovkin was doing his first couple of years when he came here to America fighting on HBO, people bashed Golovkin's opposition, though. It was light years better than the guys Navarrete's been fighting. For Santissima, this is his first fight outside the Philippines. A giant leap in opposition. Who knows how the hell they find these guys. But Mexican versus Filipino, it's in Las Vegas. Gee, you think they know what they're doing with this one? This is top ranks portion of the undercard they want to build up Navarrete he's eventually going to be an opponent they're hoping for Naoya Inoue who's also fighting in Vegas in a couple months hmm it's almost as if top rank knows what they're doing here also the co-main heavyweights Charles Martin Gerald Washington IBF eliminator look Gerald Washington should win this fight who knows but he should win this fight I just think he's the better overall athlete he's not very fast Economical with his punches, not very busy. Um, yeah, but he's just overall, I'd say, the better athlete. And he also has fought. He's done better. How about this? He's done better with better opposition than Martin has. Martin did fight Anthony Joshua, but come on. That didn't go very well for him. When Washington fought Deontay Wilder, he actually won some rounds in that fight. He won rounds. So he, he's just done better. Against better opposition, he should win that fight. Who knows, man? It's so evenly matched. Maybe it'll end up being entertaining as hell. Sometimes when you take two mid-level heavyweights and have them go at it like that, it's fun as hell. We shall see. Many of that, Deontay Wilder, 42-0-1, 41 knockouts in 43 of his fights. Going up against Tyson Fury, 29-0-1, 20 knockouts. Rematch, the 11th defense of Deontay Wilder's WBC heavyweight title. Guys, if you're defending a title that much and you haven't unified yet, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Vacant ring and lineal title on the line. Now, I know ESPN and Joe Tessitore is going to try to tell you that this is, you know, the however fifth, sixth defense of Tyson Fury's lineal heavyweight title. That is complete and utter bullshit. And you guys know I've had a lot of fun at ESPN's expense, and I know for a fact some of those guys are mad at me because I've been told so by their friends off the record <laughs> uh, that they listen to some of my shit talk about the lineal thing. But none of that matters anymore. You know why? Because, again, these are the number one and number two heavyweights in the world. They're fighting each other. 
So this is a new lineage. The winner of this fight is the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. I'm going to say it here and now. So all that propaganda from ESPN no longer matters come Saturday. And also, that's why Ring Magazine, why we're putting our title on the line for the fight, because we feel it's, it's the number one versus number two guy. Maybe it's number one versus number three. Either way, that constitutes a new lineage. Ring title's on the line. Boom. I recognize the winner of this fight as the champion. So I'm not going to do a detailed preview here right now. I'm going to save that for my prediction video. However, I will say this. When we look at momentum, okay, momentum's a big thing in boxing, big thing. And when you look at momentum and all the X factors, they pretty much all favor one guy. Look at what happened in the first fight. And I've talked about this a few times. In the first fight, which was what, December of 2018 in L.A., Tyson Fury coming into that fight had gone 12 rounds with Vladimir Klitschko three years prior. It was a faded Klitschko. It wasn't the best version. I get it. I get it. Still, 12 rounds with Vladimir Klitschko, future Hall of Famer, all-time great heavyweight. That experience is what carried him through. He wasn't the sharpest. He had been laid off and all these things and huge gain and loss and weight, all that. But that experience gave him the confidence to pull through in that fight with Deontay Wilder. Going into that first fight, Deontay Wilder had not fought an elite-level heavyweight. Luis Ortiz does not count. Luis Ortiz is top 10 heavyweight, bottom half of the top 10. He's not elite. There are only a handful of elite-level heavyweights. However, coming into this rematch, Deontay Wilder fought 12 rounds with an elite-level heavyweight in that first fight. So that learning curve that Fury had against Klitschko, Wilder has now had against Fury. So going into this rematch, Wilder has 12 rounds of elite level, true heavyweight championship experience that he could take into this rematch. He has a little bit of schooling he can go back to in, in the back of his mind and pull things from that he can apply in this rematch. So there's going to be no surprises on Deontay Wilder's side coming into this fight, okay? So that favors him momentum-wise. Also, what has taken place since the first fight? Both guys have fought twice. Wilder fought a mandatory, Dominic Brazil. Yeah, the WBC hooked him up there. Okay, it is what it is. He went out there and iced the guy. One-punch knockout. Massive confidence builder, right? As if he ever needed any more confidence. Massive statement. But people said, look, man, Dominic Brazil is not a very good heavyweight. What the hell? That doesn't prove anything. Okay, does the rematch with Luis Ortiz. Now, again, I do think a lot of people overrate him. If you listen to the guys on Fox, Luis Ortiz is like the second coming of Muhammad Ali with his boxing skills. Absolutely ridiculous. This guy's a a drug cheat in the past. This guy is 8,000 years old on blood pressure medication. Okay, but he is a top 10 heavyweight. He's a good quality, experienced, skilled prize fighter. And I honestly believe that Luis Ortiz in any era of heavyweight boxing would have been at at the very least a solid perennial fringe contender, okay? He's a good fighter. And yes, Wilder is getting outboxed and losing, but he came back and iced him. Two good quality wins for Wilder. Now, you look over on the other side. Tyson Fury fights Tom Schwartz, right? 
blasts him out in two rounds. As bad as the Wilder-Brazil fight was, Fury-Schwartz was way worse, okay? Not even the same stratosphere. Then in the rematch, or rematch, then in the second fight, Otto Valin, okay, a guy who, journeyman-level fighter, struggled at times, suffers a bad cut that we don't know. Is that cut going to open up in this rematch? There's, so there's that. Stretches a guy in terms of rounds that Wilder would have blasted out in two or three rounds. So he fought two journeymen last year. He also went and did this WWE thing. He's been doing all the media circus. And Wilder has to a certain degree. But Fury has been doing more of it. So in terms of momentum, all that favors Wilder. One other thing. Wilder's team, although Wilder has like 400 different managers and promoters and advisors, he has a team of like, he has a circus that travels with him. It's insane. His training camp has stayed the same. His corner is the exact same. Tyson Fury's corner changed. He didn't change it right after the first fight. He didn't change it before Tom Schwartz or Aldo Valin. He changed it before this rematch abruptly after the Aldo Valin fight. Normally, that's a bad sign. So all I'm going to say here for now is that all these things indicate and point toward a Deontay Wilder win. I'm not going to give my prediction here because my prediction might go completely against everything I just said. I'm going to give my prediction on my prediction video, guys. That's all I got to say about that. I'm looking at the phone lines. They look clear. Great freaking show. Awesome guest with Jim Boone. We'll definitely have him on again. I hope you guys got something out of that conversation. Just a little insight into the way these things work uh, with the ticket sales and all that good stuff. But, man, awesome calls again today, guys. We got calls from all over the world again. Mexico, Peru, Ireland. The show's growing. It's becoming more and more international. I'm loving it. I'm having a great time doing it. I hope you guys are too. So uh, let's keep the good times rolling. Remember, Follow, like, share, subscribe. Get the word out, all right? Start promoting this damn show. Let's build this thing up and make it bigger and badder than ever. In the meantime, uh, we'll do a fight party this Saturday. How's that sound? We'll do some live fight commentary with Wilder Fury 2. And I'll see you guys then. I will see you at the fights.